friends, and welcome to part two of our interview with Geza Pojar and the finale of Gymnastics Week here on the End of Sport. I truly can't think of a more humbling, troubling, and to be quite honest, heartbreaking way to end what has been a pretty difficult week of difficult conversations with people who really understand the harms associated with gymnastics and gymnastics culture. I don't want to get into too much detail here, but Geza documents tragic accounts of the harm that young athletes had to endure at the hands of the Corollis in both Romania and the US. While this episode is both tragic and quite difficult to fathom and listen to, Geza gives us ways to think about reimagining the sport in the future that takes seriously the harm and trauma that gymnasts have historically gone through and in some ways continue to go through today. So with that out of the way, enjoy the show. For those of you who have listened to our other episodes, you know that our MO of the podcast is to examine critically all the ways that sports are harmful. As a result of our explorations, we end up discussing how people have experienced severe mental, physical, and unfortunately sexual harassment and or abuse in sports. This episode is no different. We therefore need to issue a content warning for our listeners, as we will be discussing one, if not more, of those forms of abuse in connection to sport. While what we have to say is extremely important so that we can change sport to be more healthy, please heed this content warning if you think it might be harmful to you. So I have a lot of thoughts in my head. Um, so, so one thing that I wanted to follow up on with this, this issue of sort of like abuse and this enormously like strict and harsh disciplinarian is, is sort of to connect it to heavy metals. And you know, one thing that I really love about the series is that they really ground it in the voices of athletes, right? And sort of all of these women that worked with them. And, and one thing that came up, and I don't remember what episode it was, was sort of how Bela was so effective. And one thing that the athletes kept mentioning was that when you were like his favorite, he would sort of give you so much confidence in you, right? That if you were sort of his favorite athlete and you were doing well, that he would build you up so high in part because if he wasn't building you up, he was tearing you down, right? So like he said a few words and a few words of praise meant the world to these girls who were just sort of waiting for that praise because they got it so rarely, right? So there's sort of the mental psychological aspect to being a coach. Um, and and, and that, that also played a big role and sort of motivating the girls to do well. And, and that was just sort of my perception. I'd love to sort of hear your thoughts on that. Oh, you, it's right what you are saying, and your perception is right. But uh, uh, I want to just uh, uh, develop your um, idea, you know. Um, Bela, it was a big motivator, you know. He was a big motivator. I mean, um, he really, I told you about the carrot and the uh, stick, you know, mm-hmm. one of the, one of the things uh, that he was, uh, especially in competitions, he was a towering presence, you know, towering presence. Being uh, uh, tall, he was uh, 184, one meter, 80, 40, 84 uh, centimeter uh, tall. That was like six, uh, six uh, feet, uh, three, four, you know. So um, uh, I was a little bit uh, smaller than me. I was also only six one. So he was even taller than I was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or he could dominate me too. But he was a towering presence in the competitions and the girls kind of uh, feel safe with him. So uh, he got huge, huge hands, you know, and uh, on bars you know, uh, uh, grabbing them on bars, you know, make them to, them to feel safe, you know. And also, you know, when they do the acrobatics and he spot them, he spot them so uh, high up, you know, and they felt very safe with him, you know. Mm. And uh, the girls appreciated, like you said, that he really had them, you know, uh, with his presence and, and spotting, you know, uh, to uh, perform certain moves. 
But here in the United States, you are talk, you talk probably uh, more to the American genius, no? Or mm -hmm. you heard from them. Yes, you true, true. More American genius. Now, mm -hmm. I have to tell you those American genius who came to him when he got them, uh, with the exception of uh, uh, Kimsey Mescal. Kimsey Mesca was produced in his gym, but by an other young coach mm. who uh, gave Vera Kimsey Mesca when Charlie was, you know, uh, uh, ready to go gymnast, you know. Mm. So uh, uh, all the girls who got Mary Loretta, uh, many people told me that actually Mary Loretta had more uh, difficult elements before she got. Uh, uh, to Bela than uh, what she performed in Los Angeles and many others, you know. So actually, um, finally, the, uh, everybody came up with the conclusion that Bela actually is a big finalizer. Mm -hmm. He knew how to make them champion. And also he knew how to pick up the ones who will compete well. Bela, uh, right, good competitors, you know. He, he never uh, attached himself to somebody who was, uh, you know, afraid of competition or failing of competition or was too emotional, you know. So, uh, uh, and uh, uh, the girls who uh, uh, felt, you know, that his presence, you know, in the competition, his big presence, you know, and his big hopes, you know, there, and it gives them a little more confidence and support. Plus, it was very impressive, you know, for the judges too. So, so, so these big men, you know, were there, you know, dominating the competition with some very good gymnasts. That was a visual, uh, you know, uh, propaganda, you know, for him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which, if I understand what you said, the last thing I want to make sure I understood what you said correctly. You're essentially saying that the, the girls who were less confident, they really did well with his personality, his persona. Yes. Okay. Which yes. again, reinforces the tragedy that it is the less yeah. confident girls that are probably less likely to speak up, more willing to put up with yeah. systems of abuse that, yeah, yeah it just makes it even worse. I think. Yeah, you think that, uh, uh, think about Mary Loretton. Mary Loretta had a bet, uh, the, the best, uh, that, that kid was so special. I worked with her a lot. And uh, the, I never saw her in a bad mood, mm. you know? She, she even cheered up Bela. When Bela was, you know, upset or something, he went there, he said something dirty in Hungarian because she learned to some bad words in Hungarian to get under Bela's skin and standing mm. his jaws. She, she was pinching him, you know. I mean, uh, she was just uh, exuberance, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah, and uh, she, uh, she was unbelievably uh, confident. Mm -hmm. So she doesn't need that, uh, that kind of, uh, you know, uh, support. Um, and uh, Carrie Strong, on the other hand, mm -hmm. like all Snow White, Snow White, she was also Snow White, like a little church lady, you know. She was so, so different, and uh, she was so emotional in the competition that um, when uh, we used to, when we went to a competition with her, Marta always put her hand behind her neck here and did a little massage her, to her, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, 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 keeping her calm, like, uh, calm down, you know, it, you know, and it, 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 that, uh, I mean, uh, that's what I'm saying. Uh, that uh, they were qualified that as a great finalizer. So they were very, very good in competitions, mm -hmm. how to win competitions. And plus the strategy, how to get there, mm -hmm. how to uh, make the uh, workouts, you know, to uh, um, uh, schedule uh, the workouts before competitions in a way that uh, the girls get in the best shape. Mm -hmm. Wow, thank you so much for that. Um, and so we want to sort of, we, we've started talking um, about sort of Bela's experiences coaching in the U.S. and yours as well and sort of what you witnessed and things like that. 
And, you know, we're interested in the extent to which the, co- the Caroli's coaching methods or the, the extent to which they changed their coaching me- methods once they got here. And I'm also curious, um, did, w- did anybody serve as sort of a cultural conduit in terms of explaining to you all, like to you three, this is what the American sports system is like? Or did you just learn it, you know, being at American gyms and kind of absorbing it there? Uh, no, we never had this type of conversation, you know, to uh, um, introduce us, you know, uh, to the philosophy mm-hmm. behind the, uh, uh, yes, gymnastics, you know. Mm-hmm. What are the uh, uh, principles, you know, of uh, USA gymnastics, you know, and what um, USA gymnastics expect from the girls? What are the uh, uh, goals, you know, for them, what they have to achieve, you know, or uh, uh, it was a kind of a, uh, everybody did their own thing. You know, every gym had a kind of different style. Mm-hmm. And uh, when Bela got successful, certainly they, uh, most of them, they started to copy uh, Bela's methods, you know. They introduced the two workouts, mm-hmm. uh, two workouts uh, a day. Some of them even three workouts a day, you know, to exaggerate, mm-hmm. you know, to overdo it, to be there, you know. But uh, uh, actually, this is what the Federation was telling, you know, that Bela made the American coaches to work harder, harder, mm-hmm. you know, to be more competitive, you know, because they are afraid that Bela is taking all the girls from them, you know, so they have to be competitive. And some of them consider the best thing is just to copy him, you know. Mm-hmm. It was the same method that he was using. In my research on um, the Hungarian athletes and coaches who defected here after 1956, because about 34 defected here officially from the Olympics, and then like hundreds more defected to Austria and Italy and, and, and uh, the United Kingdom. And in my study of the, the ones that came to the U.S., it was quite hard for the athletes to restart their careers here because of differences in terms of financial support and other things. Um, but the coaches also found that, that there was tension between them and the American coaches here because American coaches were worried that these Hungarian Eastern Bloc coaches were going to take athletes. So I was just saying it's sort of an interesting comparison. You have a similar thing happening with you all in the, in the early 80s that I found in the, in the 50s and 60s. I, I, in my opinion, um, in my experience, um, the uh, Eastern Bloc coaches who came here to the United States, they um, find out pretty soon uh, if they went to work for a private club, that uh, the girls were not selected to the teams like in the Eastern Bloc countries. Mm-hmm. There, if you have no talent, you cannot go to the door mm-hmm. or you have not enough talent, you know? So the selection was very, very, very strict in the Eastern Bloc countries. So uh, those coaches were used to work with very talented gymnasts. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was very hard to find the key to them, how to coach them, you know, how to drill them to get them better, you know. And I think that was uh, for the coaches. I'm talking about coaches now. That was the most difficult thing for them. Plus, uh, for the athletes, I think it was difficult to um, go from a very... Uh, uh, very, very um, uh, heavy workouts to a lighter workout volume, you know? Because the uh, United States, uh, uh, the athletes didn't put the time in their training like they did in the, in the, in the Eastern Bloc countries. The athlete was a profession. Mm-hmm. They're professionals, you know? That was their profession. They didn't have to go to school just a couple of hours a day. If they get to universities, you know, without taking exams, they get a diploma from universities without even seeing the classrooms, you know. So uh, uh, everything around their sport. Here in the United States, if you got uh, uh, to the uh, university, the UCLA, for example, you know, to be a gymnast, uh, 
you have to do your gymnastic at three hours a day, but also you have to do the classes, you know? So um, that was a totally different uh, uh, system that they had back in the Istanbul countries. So that's why they felt, you know, that uh, uh, they uh, felt that uh, it would be hard for them to get adjusted. But uh, uh, the, other, uh, on the other hand, what you said is true that they are afraid that the foreigners, you know, mm. we take their jobs, you know. I mean, that's uh, not only gymnastics, it's on other, other professions, you know. Mm. They are afraid of foreigners taking the jobs, you know. Now this foreigners coming and, uh, you know, uh, changing the culture and, uh, you know, so uh, it was a kind of culture war, you know, between the foreigners and the U.S. coaches. So one major point that comes out in the heavy metal series is the tension between USA gymnastics, right, on the one hand, and the fact that they wanted to retain control, and the Corollis, on the other hand, and obviously Bela wanting to have that control for himself. Um, it talks about how the Corollis wanted a centralized gymnastic system and how that idea contrasted with American sports culture and what USA Gymnastics wanted. But the idea of a centralized sports system is really broad in the series and rarely ever defined. I mean, and what that could mean is on the one hand, right, totalitarian control that we think of um, when we think of the East German doping system, for instance, or the much more decentralized sports systems that nations like Australia adopted from the Eastern Bloc. So what, what I'm curious about is what kind of centralized sports system did the Corollis want? And how did their vision compare to what they eventually did develop in the United States? Uh, well, um, until uh, uh, the end of the uh, 90s, after the 96 Olympics, you know, uh, every club, you know, uh, had their own gymnasts who uh, were in the Olympic or national team. So uh, a coach may have a girl or two girls or three girls and uh, also was uh, the, uh, the rule that who has uh, more girls in the uh, team is the head coach. That was one thing. And we got together uh, uh, for uh, the selection uh, for the national championships, you know, for the tryouts, you know, for the Olympics, etc. But uh, we never had a, a, a workout as a team together, you know, regularly. Like every three months or uh, maybe four months or monthly. So uh, we, we, we never really had that. Uh, we get together after the tryouts, we get together two or three weeks before the Olympics. Uh, for workouts to uh, build up the team spirit and figure out the lineups, etc., etc. But uh, Bela had this uh, um, old uh, desire of him to uh, build at his ranch um, a uh, center where uh, he can host the national team and the national team tryouts at his ranch. And uh, that was, uh, Bela was a very good capitalist, you know. He's a, he, Bela was the best uh, uh, capitalist uh, uh, in uh, American gymnastics. I mean, this guy knew how to make money out of gymnastics. Nobody before <laughs> Bela, you know, was able to make so much money like Bela. So Bela, Bela actually talked, you know, capitalism to the Americans. And how? He uh, knew, you know, how to uh, uh, organize his summer camps. He made tons of money during the summer camps. He was bringing to the summer camps his uh, Olympian uh, gymnast, you know, to train there. And that attracted thousands and thousands of kids to come to the summer camp. That was, uh, uh, he had his posters, you know, with the, with the big talents and working out there. He wanted to autograph, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, going back to the centralized workout idea, uh, after uh, uh, Martha took over, especially after Martha uh, took over, um, but before that, we uh, started to do um, 
tryouts for the top program, but it's a, a junior program uh, for the United States Gymnastics. We started to go more regularly to the range. So uh, step by step, the United States Federation figured out to go in there, you know, it's cheaper and, uh, you know, um, it builds the team spirit better, etc., um, etc. Et and when uh, Marta took over, after uh, they uh, uh, kicked Bela out, you know, uh, in, uh, after the Sydney Olympics, at a very, very, uh, uh, you know, a very, very bad meeting, uh, Marta took over, you know, uh, gradually, they uh, uh, required uh, the team members, the national team members, to show up for uh, uh, monthly, almost monthly or two monthly uh, testing. So I have to go regular testing to see where they are in their uh, uh, learning new elements, you know, uh, what is their level at, you know and to uh, submit them to different uh, conditioning, testing for strength, you know, uh, physical abilities, etc. So uh, they made that harder and harder for the kids uh, to keep their uh, spot in the team. But it's also meant lots of money for Bela, because every time the uh, national team showed up, they have to pay for it, and uh, the coaches who, uh, uh, who came with uh, the federation have to pay for them. So they are making a bunch of money having the uh, centralized uh, camp at their ranch. And certainly it was very, very comfortable for them because they were at home. So uh, they ran a show, you know, from the, their bedroom. So uh, uh, Bela was extremely, extremely smart at that uh, regard. Very shrewd. was a very, very shrewd man. Well, I, I got to come back to what you said because you, you got a couple really great lines here. You said that Bella was the best capitalist in gymnastics and that he taught capitalism to the Americans. And that's fascinating to me because I think this is another way in which documentaries like Heavy Metals completely, in some ways, miss the dynamics that are happening here because the way that the American narrative always wants to frame this story is the communist, the Eastern Bloc coach comes and imports Eastern Bloc totalitarian methods to America. And sadly, now we have an American system beset with all of the kind of vices and the harmful practices of Eastern European, aka communist coaching, right? Yeah. But actually, what you're telling us here is that he failed as a communist coach. He left Romania because. Without Nadia, he was nothing there. And yeah. his best success comes in the United States because the capitalist imperatives intersect so beautifully with his approaches, right? Like the fact that he was willing to treat these girls as commodities, right? To just squeeze, like literally treat them as less than human, right? And extract all the performance and value he could from their bodies. He thrived in the United States doing that, right? Because that is what the American system ultimately wants. All it wants to see is results at the end of the day. It wants to make money in the gyms and it wants to get those medals and they were more than happy to reward him. Am, am I, is, it, is it right to say then that like, that's the reason why he got his way in the end? That's the reason why the US system centralized because at the end of the day, all that mattered was the money and the success. I, I, I just give you an example. Uh, you know, uh, remember Kerry Strug's uh, injury at the 1996 Olympics, no? Mm -hmm. And, uh, okay, so she got injured, you know, I was with Bela there next to him. Uh, I went to calculation myself, you know, that Kerry uh, Strug didn't need to do the second vault, actually, you know, because we, are, we already won the competition, you know. So, uh, but uh, Bela ran up to her and said, you know, you can do it one more time. You can do it. Go, 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 go. I was looking up to Kerry Strzok's father, who was a heart surgeon, you know, she having a heart attack up there, you know, <laughs> watching his daughter uh, to go and risk her life with her second divorce. She has another story when she fell very bad. Bill wasn't there at the time. I was with her and another uh, American coach 
lucrurs or competition, she fell very badly you know, on bars. So she had a, a, a precedent, you know. And so the father was going out of his mind. Now she makes the vault, you know, but they take her back to the uh, uh, room, you know, to the medical uh, room. She came out uh, in a, uh, on a chair, you know. Um, we, she was rolled out in a wheelchair. And uh, there are two uh, guys, you know, um, uh, officials from the uh, uh, competition, uh, from the medical staff, who were supposed to carry, to carry Strauch with the wheelchair up to the uh, award ceremony, you know. So uh, I'm looking at Bela and I saw him turning his head, watching Carrie uh, in the wheelchair. And so then he jumps, picks her up, and then the team starts to wa uh, walk out. He's carrying Carrie. He wasn't allowed to go inside. He had no credential for the floor. He had no floor credential. Uh, there are only Martha and other coach, uh, Mary Tracy, had the uh, credential for the floor. So Bella had no credential. And picks up Carrie, uh, uh, and he goes out there for the award ceremony. So we get the gold medal, a team, but that picture of Bela carrying Kerry Strug, when I left the uh, next day, I came home to uh, my gym after the team competition. Uh, I saw in the, in the airport in Atlanta, every single newspaper in the United States, from Chicago Tribune to uh, Washington Post to New York Times, Los Angeles Times, every major newspaper on the front page, big color picture of Bela carrying Kerry Strug. And I go, Bela just made a couple of million dollars with these pictures, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, he was, uh, he was uh, extremely, extremely uh, 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 gifted to promote himself, you know, mm -hmm. know what I mean? And his mind worked very quickly <laughs> to figure out how to do that, you know? Yeah, I, I'm just like thinking about sort of this image that you're you're painting for us, and 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 Bela really comes off as this like chameleon, right? Is sort of an, an individual who figures out how can he sort of best adapt and sort of take advantage of a system. And as we said earlier, it didn't work out under communism, and, and he found a way out. And he, you know, he had this cultural capital of being this, you know, Nadia Komanech's as coach. And he used that here. And, and you know, it's interesting, too, that th th this issue that he talked about with the summer camps, that he figured out how to profit off of these summer camps. And that is obviously not something that could have been done under communism. No, right? Yeah. Those, those kinds of camps would have been expected. And, you know, you wouldn't have received extra pay. So in a land where you can make money off of anything if you want to, you know, he figures out how to do that here. And, you know, he, he figures out what's the best photo op. Yeah. that I can make out of this moment. I mean, it's really, I mean, piecing together this story with you is, is really fantastic. As a historian, I'm like geeking out inside and just like exploding because this is, this is really just something else. Um, and, and so I, I want to sort of pivot a little bit to sort of how um, the leaders within USA Gymnastics and like the top US coaches at the time, how they sort of responded to some of these changes he wanted to implement. And so, you know, the U.S. sports system is, is, is like famously anti-communist, at least in theory. Um, and even USA Gymnastics seemed to kind of not want to um, go along with what Bela wanted. Um, but sort of despite this initial hesitation um, towards decentralization, um, USA Gymnastics and top American coaches such as Don Peters and seemingly most of the other top coaches out here they went along with his ideas and eventually came to embrace many aspects of the Caroli system, um, especially after 1996. Um, now, why do you think they did this? Did USA Gymnastics and these American coaches, did they really just care about gold medals and dollar signs more than they cared about political, cultural ideology and athletes' health? Uh, I don't think... Uh... I had many, many conversations with many coaches because I traveled a lot. You see, I worked with all the coaches who were in the um, who were national team coaches. 
and I uh, sat with them, we had dinner with them, because I visited their gyms, you know. That was all of my duty when I was on a national coaching staff, you know. And uh, uh, our discussions, you know, friendly discussions, you know, and asking about Bela, uh, they uh, didn't approve his methods, you know. I mean, uh, you know, everybody kind of hated him, you know, let's face it, mm. you, know? Mm. you know, in private. Everybody hated him. But uh, they, uh, they realized, you know, that uh, uh, somehow uh, he's getting results. And uh, it was very uh, uh, important for these private clubs where the coaches were the owners too, to, uh, to have these medals, you know, because they get uh, financial uh, help from the federation, you know, uh, they get exposure uh, uh, on TV, you know, uh, so uh, for them it was very important those results because the medals uh, brought uh, economical, you know, benefits plus you know uh, uh, prestige and uh, lots of publicity. So uh, that's for their gyms was very very good. Uh, it never came out in my uh, conversation with them, uh, communist ideology or. Uh, uh, nobody ever considered Bela a communist. I mean, ever, nobody. He was a cowboy. Everybody thought that Bela is a cowboy. No, he's not. He's not even uh, uh, coming from a communist country, mm. and behave himself. You know, like he was born in Texas. You know, he was more Texan than the Texans. If you uh, if you stayed with him and followed him, mm. I mean, his ranch was a typical uh, Texan. French, in Iran, as a Texan ranch, you know, and he loved the he loved the country music. He knew all the country music, you know. He's a good singer. I mean, uh, he was just. Uh, but even in Romania, he was very um, uh, like uh, his friends, best friends were the, uh, the people uh, who, uh, uh, you know, in, in Romania they, they had these uh, people who take took care of the forest, you know. They are, uh, and Saint Bela was a big hunter, you know. His uh, best friends was the people, you know, who took him to hunting, you know, and, or uh, take care of his animals because he had a lot of animals. So uh, he had this, uh, he had this, uh, you know, passion in, the, in his uh, heart before he came to the United States. And now mm-hmm. he had his big ranch, mm-hmm. he had uh, uh, two uh, big uh, mules, uh, Samson and Delilah, he had a big uh, camel, Leroy, you know, and <laughs> he had a bunch of animals, he had uh, ostriches, he had black, black swan, and whatever you imagine, you know. He was, uh, that was his dream. Uh, he's very, very um, complex, uh, he has a very complex personality, you know. I mean, he showed up any time in the gym and, uh, uh, in the blue jeans and and, uh, and boots, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it was uh, for uh, uh, he and they actually never was a real communist to say so, and nobody yeah. really was. It mm-hmm. was uh, a fake, you know, because everybody had to say, you know, yes to the party line to survive, you know. Yes, so we cannot say no. But he never really, really believed that in any kind of communist ideology or, uh, you know, that, uh, and the sport movement in Romania was also, uh, if you think that uh, uh, the, uh, like the many athletes in the United States were professional athletes, no? Mm-hmm. In the communist countries, they are more professional than here. Mm-hmm. Because every single elite, uh, uh, sportmen or sportwomen uh, didn't have to work. They have paid to do to do sport. Mm-hmm. And if they uh, uh, if they won a gold medal in the Olympics, they were set for life. Mm-hmm. They didn't have to work for the rest of their life. Even today, all these girls who uh, went through all this pain, and but they get so many medals for Romania. They are paid like uh, monthly, like $2,200 a month. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, 
special retirement. It's called uh, merit uh, retirement money, mm-hmm. merit pension money. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, the state uh, uh, gives them the possibility to have this profession for life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned you made you made a comment that I want to follow up on. You said that you know Bela was more Texan than Texans that he kind of epitomized what it meant to be in Texas. And I'm just kind of curious, do you think that convinced people in the gymnastics community that he wasn't a communist? Like, do you think this allowed people to accept him more, that he adopted, you know, country music and bull riding and that sort of thing? Or was that just simply like his personality and that's just what he wanted to do? You know, uh, since I came to the United States, uh, uh, nobody, nobody told me, or nobody heard anybody saying about a uh, coach from the Soviet Union or East Germany or Hungary for that that we are communists. Mm. Those are defectors. Mm-hmm. Since you defected, you know, since you defected, that means that you were against the system. Mm-hmm. Right. So we are actually fighting the communist ideology you know, by defecting. Right. Yeah. And, you know, you know, even focusing on that word defector, that's a sort of a political term. Like, yes, you did defect, but they're still politicizing your identity as someone who was like anti-communist because you left there to come here. Because actually people are asking for political asylum. Mm -hmm. Political asylum. Mm -hmm. And they defecting that's in political asylum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you. Um, so we wanted to ask a little bit about um, Amelia Eberly or Trudy Kolar, who now has a different last name. Um, so she very, very bravely spoke out in 2008 publicly about how the Carolis beat her when she trained with them in Romania in the 70s and 80s. And you um, very much supported her and like vouched for her in public and validated what she said. Um, now, from your perspective, why did you think it was important to support her in doing this? And secondly, how did the U.S. gymnastics community respond to these statements at the time? Well, <clears throat> the, the story started with Dominique Mociano on the 19, uh, I mean, the 2008 Olympics, Beijing, no? Mm-hmm. Beijing Olympics. And Mociano came out in uh, HBO interview mm-hmm. against Bela. Mm-hmm. So then people started to ask questions mm-hmm. and they approached me. And at that time, uh, Trudy was my head coach, my mm-hmm. gym. And uh, uh, to support actually what Mochano said, because I had a very good uh, relationship with Mochano too, you know, I loved uh, Dominique um, and I wanted to support her before anything else, uh, I said uh, to the, uh, I said, I told the um, people, uh, for the reporters, you know, to talk to Trudy, you know. Mm-hmm. So Trudy, this how Trudy came up with her story. Mm-hmm. Actually, I, I led uh, them to Trudy. Oh, interesting. Trudy, yeah, Trudy came out with her story. NBC did everything is possible to put it under the, uh, uh, able, you know, they, they uh, sabotage the whole thing. You know, we got uh, very far with the uh, interviews with a uh, NBC uh, a reporter who worked on the story, and I uh, had to uh, give him uh, names of people who can confirm through the story, and they did from different parts of the world, and still uh, NBC would not. Uh, uh, Publish the story, will not come out with the story because NBC invested a lot in Bela. I don't know, uh, uh, NBC had a contract with the USA G- Gymnastics, you know, for uh, all the rights for the Olympics, for the national championship, for the tryouts. And Bela and Marta was a big part of the show. I don't mm-hmm. know if you followed the tryouts of what you saw on TV. Every single time, you know, uh, they, uh, and nobody was talking about the worst personal coaches, you know, 
who made this girl, you know, who coaching her, you know, like in uh, ice skating, you yeah? know? Every time, you know, you know, who coaches the girl, who does the choreography for her, you know? Uh, there they are talking only about Marta. Marta is watching. Marta is taking note. Mm-hmm. Oh, what do you think? Who's, who's, who, who she will pick, you know? I mean, they, are, they build a cult of personality uh, around them, and they didn't want it to... Uh, um, give up, you know, um, this uh, monument what they built for them. And uh, when they made the uh, uh, NBC Dateline story with the Nassar scandal, with the Dr. Scandal, and they took Bela Smart interview in their gym. I don't know if you saw the Dateline. Did you saw the Dateline? I don't think so. Hmm. It's a dateline. Uh, uh, the truth comes out when uh, Michaela Maroni, uh, Michaela Maroni uh, interview, and uh, I suppose to, uh, they wanted to interview me, but after they talked to me, they changed their mind <laughs> because yeah. I told them how it was, you know. <laughs> so they cut me off, and uh, they uh, gave me a very softball questions, you know. It was like. Uh, uh, Trump giving an interview to Fox, you know, it was the same thing, you know, it's like a softball questions, you know, and, and uh, uh, th- that's very uh, that's disappointing. You can, you can watch, uh, I still have it on my uh, DVR, you know, it's uh, NBC uh, Dateline. Uh, the title is it's something about uh, the, the truth comes out or uh, gymnastics uh, tells the story, I mean, it, it's about a, it, it came out like uh, two years ago, I think. Mm-hmm. Two years ago and more. So, sorry, if I, if I understand this correctly, NBC knew of this story. They intended to interview you to tell the truth about what Bella had done. Yes. And then once they had talked to you, were you did you actually get in? Were you recorded? No, we had, I had two conversations with two people. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, first I talked to the reporter. She wanted me very badly. Yeah. And I talked to the producer, you know. And uh, they, uh, uh, I, I think what happened, uh, uh, I think, I believe what, uh, that Bela uh, conditioned his uh, participation in the... Uh, in that show, uh, he conditioned that I will be now interviewed, you know? Yeah. He doesn't want me to be in the same show. So wow. what I'm hearing here is because, you know, at this point, we've, we've got all these documentaries, you know, Athlete A at the Heart of Gold, you know, the 30 for 30 now, right? There's a lot of interest. And there's a lot of interest, not just in what the Carolis themselves did, there's a lot of interest in who was complicit, right, in all of this. And we know about USA Gymnastics and Penny and, and all, right? A lot of names have been named. Um, Except Cathy Kelly, who was the principal uh, villain, you know, the whole thing. Nobody okay, well, I want, you to, I want you to follow that up on that in one second. But before we go to that point, um, it sounds to me like NBC themselves are deeply complicit because they were so invested in the money machine that was Bela Caroli and USA Gymnastics that they consciously, with full knowledge, suppressed the story of the harm being done to US gymnastics athletes. Is that a fair statement? Absolutely. Absolutely, yes. Absolutely. Okay, now can you tell us that Kelly story? Okay, the, the Kelly story... Uh, uh, Kathy Kelly um, uh, uh, worshipped Bela, number one. He thought that Bela is like Jesus, can walk on water, you know. I mean, uh, she was totally devoted to Bela. One reason was that, that under uh, uh, Nike Jackie's reign of the uh, Federation, Kathy Kelly was our secretary. And Bela uh, talked to uh, Mike to promote her to uh, be the director for the women's program in the United States. So uh, Bela supported her from the uh, very beginning. I think figured out that uh, she will be very uh, helpful to him 
so she will be our tool in his hand and he will be able to use her. And this is what happened. Gradually, uh, Kathy Kelly uh, was promoted. She became vice president uh, and she was the one uh, who finally uh, approved all these uh, centralized trainings of Bela's camp and moved everything of uh, Bela's camp. Even built a famous wall at Bela's camp and uh, um, uh, moved not only the um, uh, artistic gymnastics, but uh, she moved the rhythmic gymnastics there too. So uh, uh, they worked hand in hand and uh, Kathy Kelly uh, uh, and Martha was running the show uh, through Kathy Kelly. Kathy Kelly was uh, approving every single uh, idea with Martha came up, but uh, it was Martha and Bela because certainly they talked, uh, you know, in the bedroom, you know, what will happen next, you know. So uh, Kathy Kelly, nobody, nobody, I was interviewed, I was interviewed by uh, that uh, law firm from uh, New York who uh, did an uh, independent investigation uh, for the um, United States uh, Olympic Committee, you know, and we interviewed for three, four hours, you know, and I told them, you know, that you have to go to the source, you have to go directly to Kathy Kelly, she was in charge, and uh, through Martha, and uh, they ran a show, and she was responsible for the welfare of the girls, period, period. I mean, uh, and nobody these days mentioning her name. He, when uh, she figured it out that uh, the NASA story is about to, uh, you know, blow up, she ran away. And nobody, nobody ever asked me about her. You know, I had to come up all the time to tell people, listen, she was in charge. She was the boss. She hired uh, me, she hired Nassar. I worked with Nassar for about 12 years in the same national coaching staff. So, so I'm, I'm sorry to, to be sort of pounding this point home a little bit and, and maybe sort of beating a dead horse, but I, I'd like your view. In your view, do you think that NBC was actively suppressing this story? When the story came out through Mochano, absolutely yes. Absolutely. That the is. The producer told me, the pro, not the producer, uh, the reporter who uh, worked on the story, and he was very into it, you know, and he was very dedicated, you know, to. Uh, let uh, 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 things come to light, you know. And mm -hmm. he called me and said, "Guys, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. We have to finish it here. I cannot. Uh, I I don't have the approval to continue." That that's. I think that that's a massive tragedy in and of itself. When we're when we're talking about harm and we're talking about journalistic integrity and all of those things, I I want to ask like. You know, Obvious. Derek, Derek, let oh, me break ahead, it just yet. Let me break yeah, it. Yeah. Can you underline again for us, Kaysa, what year was this? That was in uh, 2008 after the Beijing Olympics. And what were you going to say in that if you had been on the air in 2008, what information would you have revealed on NBC? I just, I just I told you. I mean, everything I've told. Okay, every, every, mm -hmm. all, so you're saying everything that you've told us now, like yes. you, would have been, you would have been itemizing the abuse that these athletes had suffered in explicit terms. Yes, I mean, I, uh, I wanted to uh, support Dominique. Mm -hmm. you know? I wanted to support Trudy because I know that she was telling the truth. Yeah. I was there, I saw it with my eyes. I mean, I didn't hear it from her. It wasn't a second-hand information. I, I know firsthand what happened. And instead, no, like American viewers just simply didn't get that information. No, because uh, they, they stopped the uh, story. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Now, obviously, the Larry Nasser story was huge, is still huge, as we're seeing um, still things coming out. Did you have any interactions yourself with Larry Nasser? And 
Um, if so, could you tell us just about those interactions? Well, we got into the same team. We got into mm-hmm. national coaching staff. We went to uh, uh, several uh, international competitions together, world championships, Olympic Games. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we went to training camps uh, uh, several times. Uh, I knew him very well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had my own gym. I had gymnasts who were injured from time to time. I called him, you know, I called him, Larry, I have a problem. He just sent me an x-ray on MRI. Next day, he called me back. So uh, he uh, kind of bought everybody, all the coaches around the country, because they were so helpful. Mm-hmm. He was extremely helpful to, uh, to the coaches. He, he, he uh, responded immediately, you know. And uh, he looked very dedicated uh, uh, to the cause, you know, to keep the kids, uh, uh, you know, in good shape. So uh, uh, never crossed my mind that something like this can happen, you know, uh, in the, his cabinet, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you've done an inc- incredible job outlining and sort of um, being very specific about the harm that you've witnessed, that you've seen um, these athletes go through. And I'm wondering, has that, has the harm that you've witnessed in your career, um, both um, in, in Europe and here, um, has that sort of changed the way that you view the sport of, of gymnastics in general? Would you, at the end of the day, sort of say that you're still uh, or that you are a fan of gymnastics, gymnastics culture, and the entire sort of structure of gymnastics today? Well, I fell out of love uh, with the uh, uh, elite gymnastics, so-called elite gymnastics, uh, when uh, they stopped the uh, compulsory routines, you know. Because the composer routines put a break in uh, going too far with the difficulties on the optional level. Mm-hmm. So you have to be perfect in your gymnastics, in basics, to be a champion. Mm-hmm. Well, you have to be more an uh, acrobat, you know, not pay attention to the form, to the style of execution to how clean you are in your movements, you know. So uh, every, uh, they made it so difficult. And the new uh, FIG uh, code of points is so complicated, so hard. No better, it's very hard to understand, you know, for regular people, even for me, you know. So uh, uh, it lost uh, its popularity. Remember mm-hmm. the perfect end? Okay, the perfect ten means you know that you got a perfect ten. Uh, uh, that was if you get a perfect ten, the composer within at elite level, that you were a world class gymnast at the time, you know, because you were a clean gymnast, you were executing every single element perfect, you know. And now the emphasis is on, is on uh, the difficulties, and they made gymnastics so difficult. So uh, actually, when eliminated the compulsory program where you had to do two workouts because you have to do compulsory and optional in one day, now they have to do, again, two workouts just to keep up, to be able to perform uh, the difficulty level that is in uh, gymnastics now. And Mm -hmm. they they lost, uh, gymnastics lost popularity and less and less uh, kids are uh, not only uh, willing, but unable mm-hmm. to get to that level, you know? Yeah. You, you have to be, a, a, they transform gymnastics in acrobatics. It's, it's called artistic gymnastics. Mm-hmm. The artistic aspects of it is disappearing, you know? The beauty of them, even a bar routine. If you watch Horhina, the famous Russian gymnast Borutins, you know. Uh, she was like a ballerina on bars, you know, perfect form. She was just uh, like, a, like flying, uh, you know, uh, between the two bars, you know, in a perfect body position. I mean, she, that was a dream to just watch it. 
Now when there's so many sorts, so many big elements, and so many do more and more and more and more, you know, neck breaking your stuff, you know, that is, it's make it extremely, extremely hard for the kids to get to that level. And it's a lots of lots of sacrifice on it, you know, a sacrifice. And now it's a different level in gymnastics. Uh, uh, fortunately, uh, the USA Gymnastics uh, back, uh, came up with an Excel program. The Excel program puts limitation on the difficulty level, you know. You can be a bronze level gymnast or a diamond level gymnast or a platinum level gymnast. And uh, the difficulty is growing, but it's not neck breaking, you know. So they don't, you cannot do, you can do gymnastics, this kind of gymnastics only training three times a week. So we'll not take away your youth, we'll not take away your whole life as a teenager, you know, to still uh, grow up as a normal kid. You know, you don't have to train seven, eight hours a day, six days a week, you know, to become a, 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 a top gymnast. Yeah. So this program allows participation of less talented kids. So we have more people involved, but it's a healthy uh, and healthier, you know, you, you not uh, have too many injuries at that level, you know, very, very, very few. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and the kids have more satisfaction. They're still getting medals. Okay, they are not going to the Olympics, but they have nationals, you know, they get exposure. And I think in the future, if uh, they don't put the brakes on the difficulty level in, the, in, in gymnastics, they will lose even more and more uh, uh, gymnasts, you know, even more and more mm -hmm. at that level. Yeah. It's very hard to be uh, Simon Byers, you know. She's, uh, she's unique. I mean, she's totally unique. She's a world on herself, you know. Mm -hmm. she's, uh, she's from a different planet, you know. She's uh, not, uh, 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 I would not call, uh, call her a regular elite gymnast, you know. She's more than anybody else what she's doing, you know. It's, it's, it's almost inhuman what she can do, you know. She's breaking all the barriers, you know. And uh, now, if you want to get to her level, to beat her, for somebody who has no, uh, no uh, abilities like she does, or physical potential, you know, you know that's uh, very, very dangerous. Yeah, no, and, and I, think, I think this is such an amazing point to sort of round out the interview because in the podcast we are all about sort of exploring and talking about the harm that sport can cause athletes. And I, and I think your point about how, you know, in order to actually sustain the sport, we need to sort of take the intensity down both in terms of like the maneuvers that in the movements that the athletes are doing, but also in the hours that they're practicing, right? That the intensity needs to come down in order for it to be a safer um, sort of sustainable sport for athletes to do. Um, and, and as sort of a closing, like there are so many sort of huge things that we talked about that I just sort of want to quickly go over. And like, first I want to thank you like so much for your time and your generosity. Like I know I speak for Nathan and Derek and saying, like you blew our minds like at multiple points during the interview. We, I mean, you just really told us so many fascinating and really important things that, that, that we feel like have been left out of, 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 of other sort of discussions and sort of media productions about sport from sort of like Bela not being emblematic of like Romanian gymnastics to sort of his lack of technical coaching ability and, and him being a chameleon, at least to me, was really fascinating and like NBC's sort of ignoring and covering up um, was just, and you know, I, I think this is all, this is all such important information that we all need to keep in mind when we're, when we're thinking about not only gymnastics in the U.S., but also just like how American sport is run. Um, so thank you so much for your time. Um, this has been a fantastic conversation and we just thank you so, so much. I appreciate it and I wish you good luck and I wish you that people will listen to you. <laughs> also, I'm very supportive to have a safe sport, you know. We're getting too many injuries, and not only gymnastics, all the other sports, you know. 
they're, they're taking it too far, you know, and they are neglecting safety. And these kids have no life, no life. Amen to that. Thank you for tuning into another episode of the End of Sport podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to like, share, and subscribe. Give us a follow on Twitter or Instagram at End of Sport Pod, or shoot us an email at theendofsport at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.